Hello, welcome to the Myths of the Norse. Before we start today, I have to apologise. I have a cold and a bit of a sore throat, so my voice may sound a bit strange. So, please bear with me, but here we go. Chapter 2, Introducing the Gods Up in Asgard, the Aesir sat, ruling over the world. In Varnaheim, the Varnir did the same. The two groups of gods were different. Some say that the Aesir were warrior gods and the Varnir fertility gods. The most remarkable thing was that for a long time each band of deities seemed to have no idea of the other's existence. The time came when they did find out about each other, and that time was not a good one. But before we come to that, we must meet the gods. So first, let's meet the Aesir. Chief among the Aesir was, of course, Odin. Odin was the most important and oldest of all the gods, and was known as the All-Father. He was the god of war battles and looked after the nobly born, warriors, kings and the like. In his hall at Valhalla, he gathered together the fallen warriors he would need to fight the last battle at Ragnarok. He was also, rather surprisingly, the god of poetry. He also went under many other names, far too many to name here. Odin had a need and a thirst for wisdom. Over and over again, he would travel to various parts of the cosmos, usually in disguise, in search of knowledge and the answers to various conundrums. One of the places to which Odin went to find wisdom was Mimir's well. Odin the Allfather, dressed as a common man, and went travelling using the name Vegtam the Wanderer. He knew of Mimir's well and the wisdom that it contained within its sacred waters. He wanted to sample them, and so he set off. On his way he met a giant called Vafthrunder, known to be the wisest of the giants. He asked the large wise man if he knew what price Mimir would extract from him for a drink from the well. Ah, replied Vafthrunder, he will want your right eye. Odin was very troubled. Would Mimir really ask him for his eye? He nearly turned back there and then, but he knew he had a duty. He needed the wisdom of Mimir's well in order to save the world from Surt, the mighty fire giant with his flaming sword, or from the darkness and nothingness of Niflheim. And so he went on, down into Jotunheim and all the way to Mimir's well. The guardian of the waters stood before him. Hail to you, Odin, eldest of the gods. Odin bowed and then got straight to the point. I would like to drink from your well, Mimir. Do you know the price? came the reply. Odin nodded. Then drink. Mimir handed Odin a horn filled with water from the well. The Allfather took the horn and drank every drop. As soon as he did so, the future revealed itself to him. He saw the day a long way off in the future, when the end would come for him, and he saw that after that day, the evil which brought terror and despair to the world would be gone. And then he knew what he had to do. He brought his left arm up to his face and to his right eye. Then he reached in and ripped the eye from its socket. The pain was unbearable, but Odin made no noise. He simply handed the eye to Mimir, who threw it into the well and watched it sink. From that day the eye of Odin could sometimes be made out in the water, a sign of the price that he paid for the wisdom he so craved. And so Odin only had one eye. Despite that he was a formidable presence. He always wore a blue cloak, except when in disguise, and carried a spear called Gungir. On his shoulders sat two ravens, Hugin and Munin. Hugin meant thought, and Munin memory. 
From his seat in his hall, he could survey all that happened in the world. Odin was married to Frigg. Very little is known about her origin, but she was said to be splendid in every way. She owned a hall called Fensalir. Second among the Aesir was, of course, Thor. Thor was the son of Odin and Earth. Sometimes he was known as Asa Thor, Thor of the Aesir. Sometimes he was known as Oko Thor, Thor the charioteer. The chariot in question was drawn by two goats, Tangnoist, Tooth Nasher, and Tangrisnir, Snarltooth. His home was on the plains of Thrudvanger, where he ruled from his home, Bilskinir, which had 540 rooms and was the largest house ever built by gods or men. Thor owned three mighty items, which increased his already very mighty might. First, he owned Mígingjard, the belt of strength. When this was buckled on, his incredible strength was doubled. Second, he had gloves of iron, whose sole purpose was allow him to grasp and swing the third and most famous of the possessions of Thor. This was his hammer, Mjolnir. With it, Thor could create thunder and lightning. He could control the winds and showers, as well as the fair weather. Thor was the defender of the Aesir. In contrast to Odin, who looked after the highborn, Thor championed the farmers and freemen, the majority of the population. He was married to the goddess Sif. Odin's second son, and the only offspring he had with his wife Frigg, was called Baldur. Baldur was bright and beautiful, by far the best-looking of the Aesir. His brow was as white as the whitest flower. He was also the inherently wisest of the gods, and was eloquent and wonderfully spoken. He was merciful and just, and was loved by all of the gods and goddesses. He lived in a hall called Bryderblik. The bravest of the Aesir was Tyr. Some say he was also a son of Odin, while others think of him as being descended from a giant called Hymir. A man who led from the front in battle was known as a man of Tyr. Bragi, another son of Odin, was the god of poetry and of eloquence. He was married to Idun, who owned a wooden box. In this box she kept enchanted apples. The gods would take bits from these apples when they began to grow old, and the apples made them young again. Many of the other Aesir were also important. Hod was blind and immensely strong. Vidar, a son of Odin, was strong, nearly as strong as Thor, and silent, and also had a thick, strong shoe. Vali, another son of Odin, was a very good shot and was bold and skilled in battle. Ull was a son of Sif and a stepson of Thor. He was very good-looking and a skilled bowman. Ull was highly proficient in that most Nordic of arts, skiing. Forseti was the son of Baldur and his wife Nanna, daughter of Nep. He was the god of justice. Honir was indecisive in battle, whereas Hermod, yet another son of Odin, was full of resolve. Many of the Aesir were goddesses. Aya was a doctor goddess. Siofin was the closest the Norse got to a goddess of love. Lofen had the permission of Odin and Frigg to arrange marriages between men and women. Var listened to the oaths made between men and women and took vengeance on those who broke truths. Vor was so knowledgeable that nothing could be hidden from her, and Sin was the defender of the accused, often invoked by defendants at trials. Snotra was wise and gentle. There were others, but these are the main Aesir, except for one. 
one of the most fascinating and mysterious of the inhabitants of Asgard, was called Heimdall. Some think that he was originally one of the Vanir, but nobody can be sure. He was powerful and sacred, and was known as the White God. He had nine mothers. Work that one out if you can. He needed less sleep than a bird, and could see a distance of a hundred leagues in both daylight and darkness. His ears were so keen he could hear the grass growing in the earth, and the wool growing on sheep. Heimdall was the watchman of the gods, a perfect task for one with such acutely developed senses. His hall was called Himinbjorg, or Cliffs of Heaven, and it stood near the Asgard end of the Rainbow Bridge Bifrost. His horn, Gjallarhorn, could be heard in all of the nine worlds when he blew on it. And so, these were the Aesir, the inhabitants of Asgard. Over in Varnaheim were the Vanir. There were fewer Vanir who featured prominently in the North myths, but there were a few who were very important. The chief of the Vanir was called Njord, and he was married to Skadi, a giant. Njord was the closest the Norse came to a god of the sea. He could control the sea, but also ruled over the movement of winds and calmed fires. Skadi wanted to live in the mountains, but Njord loved the sea and was keen to reside on the shore. They couldn't agree, and soon he was living in Noten, his hall on the coast, and she in Thrymenheim, her father's hall in the mountains. Despite this, Njord and Skadi managed to have two children. They were not very imaginative in their names for their offspring. Their son was called Frey, and their daughter, Freya. Both of these were very important. Frey was said to be the most splendid of the gods. He controlled the rain and the shining of the sun, and through them the fruits and fertility of the earth. He determined how men would prosper, and was often invoked for peace and abundance of crops. In this sense he was also a fertility god, as were many of the Vanir. Freya was the most splendid of the goddesses. Her home was Sesramir, which meant with many seats. Her home was large, and nearly as beautiful as she was. Freya, like many of the other gods, had her own chariot. In her case, though, her method of transport was drawn by two cats. Freya enjoyed love songs, and was often invoked in matters of love. Given her expertise in controlling and manipulating the health and wealth, but also the desires of other beings, she was a being whose power was almost without equal. Freya owned another hall called Folkvangar, where half of the dead slain in battle were sent. Freya was married to Odd. Freya seems to have been something of a party girl, something that Loki used to insult her on more than one occasion. Which brings us, at last, to Loki. Loki was counted among the Aesir, even though he was the offspring of two giants, Farbauti and Nal, and thus should have been a Jotan. He seems to have also been the foster brother of Odin. He was beautiful, handsome and fair of face, and dynamic but unpredictable. He often brought the Aesir into difficulty and strife, but also helped them out using his cunning and guile. Loki was married to Sigyn, and they had a son called Narfi. But Narfi was not Loki's only offspring. He had a relationship with an ogress who lived in Jotunheim, named Angerboda, or Sorrowbringer. With her he had three offspring, all somewhat fearsome. And these were they. Hel was a giantess, and she ruled over Helheim, the realm of the hidden, where the dead who were not chosen by Odin or Freya were sent. It was the place where the people who died of disease or old age went. 
Hell was not really evil, but a bit greedy and indifferent to the fates of the living or the dead. She lived in an enormous dwelling called Elyonir, which meant sprayed with snowstorms. She slept in a bed called Kor, which meant sickbed, and her curtains were called Blik Yandabol, meaning gleaming disaster. The threshold over which the dead had to step in order to enter her realm was called Falanda Forad, falling to peril. All in all, the place of the dead doesn't seem to have been too pleasant. Loki's other two children were not humanoid. They were the serpent Jormungand and the wolf Fenris. We will see what happened to them in a later chapter. As for Loki himself, he will have a part to play in many of the stories which we will enjoy later in this podcast series, but we will leave him for now. The two bands of gods kept apart. Even once they'd found out about each other, never did a member of the Aesir visit Varnaheim, and never did one of the Varnir set foot in Asgard. But one woman visited both worlds. She was called Gulvig, and she was a witch. She had visited the Varnir, and they'd rejected her, so she went to Asgard. When she first arrived, she was not welcome. The Aesir listened to her with something approaching disgust, as she spoke of her love for gold. They decided, probably entirely correctly, that the worlds would be better off without her, so they tortured her and riddled her body with spears. This didn't seem to have the desired effect, namely Gulvig's death. The Aesir then went one step further and threw her onto the fire in the middle of the hall. There she burned to death. Briefly. Very soon after, Gulvig stepped from the fire, apparently unscathed. The Aesir tried twice more to burn her to death, but each time she rose from the flames as good as new. The Aesir were amazed. Gulvig went from zero to hero in Asgard and was given the name Hyde, the Gleaming One. She was still evil, but she'd tricked the gods. After Gulvig left Asgard, the Vanir heard how she'd been venerated. They'd seen straight through her, of course, and they decided that their fellow gods were not up to being deities, and they declared war. Both sides polished their shields and went to battle. At first the Vanir seemed to be winning. They cast spells and reduced the walls of Asgard to rubble. Then the Aesir were on top, causing just as much damage in Varnaheim. The battle went on for what would have been an eternity to mere men. It became clear that neither side could win. The gods grew weary of war and met to agree a truce. Peace was concluded and the Aesir and Varnir agreed to live side by side. To conclude the treaty they swapped some leaders. Neord, Frey and Freya made their way to Asgard and took up residence in the home of the Aesir. Honir and Mimir travelled to Varnaheim. In Asgard, the three Varnir took their places among the rulers. Freya taught the Aesir the secrets of witchcraft, well known to the Varnir. In Varnaheim, Honir was appointed one of the leaders of the Varnir, with Mimir at his side. But Honir wasn't really up to the job. He was as indecisive in leadership as he was in battle. Whenever Honir was not with Mimir, he found it impossible to make a decision. If he was asked for his opinion in council meetings and Mimir wasn't there to tell him what to say, he simply said he was happy to let the others decide. The Vanir started to think they'd been tricked. They seemed to have come off by far the worst in this exchange of leaders. After all, they'd given Neord, Frey and Freya, three of their greats, and they'd been lumbered with a bit of a clot. They decided they wanted revenge, but they took their revenge on the wrong person. They seized poor Mimir and hacked off his head, 
Then they sent the head to Odin. The Allfather received the head sadly. Even though Mimir had forced him to lose an eye, he'd allowed Odin to receive the wisdom of the waters of his well. Odin took Mimir's head and cradled it. Then he smothered it with preserving herbs so it would never decay and weaved charms over it. He gave the severed head the power of speech and placed it back by its eponymous well, but not before he'd absorbed more of the wisdom of Mimir. And now both the Aesir and the Vanir knew they must seal a final truce. Every single god and goddess of both races spat in a jar. From the jar's somewhat unpleasant contents they made a man. His name was Kvasir, and he was the most knowledgeable man in the Nine Worlds. Gods, giants, men and dwarfs sought him out and asked him questions. Never was he lost for an answer. Wherever he went, the normal tasks of the day were set aside, and men, women and children sat and listened to his words. Kvasir was loved by the Aesir and Vanir alike. And so there was no more war. But there was plenty more adventure. And next time those adventures will start. There will, I'm afraid, be a bit of a delay before the next chapter. I'm going on a family holiday in a couple of weeks' time and so won't be around to record and release the episode. In a couple of days I'll review my schedule and then put out a message just saying when the next chapter will be released. So, until then, have a great three or four weeks and I'll speak to you next time.